It shows DJ Nikki, the Early Access Podcast, October 1st, 2019. We just took three weeks off because I had to go over to Japan for two weeks, and we were just at Oculus Connect. Check it out. Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, uh, discord.gg slash stellshampoo, youtube.com slash stellshampoo. Let's talk about Oculus Connect 6 first because during the pre-show, Kula and I were talking about Medal of Honor, and I am pissed that Medal of Honor was absolutely a terrible game. Uh, so Medal of Honor at Oculus Connect 4. Let's back it up. Let's go back two years. Oculus Connect 4. Uh, Oculus Studios announces its partnership with Respawn. Respawn, the guys who made Titanfall 1, Titanfall 2, and Apex Legends, the, one of the most popular BR games out right now. And I was super excited uh, at Oculus Connect 4. I was a huge Titanfall 1 fan. Titanfall 2, I played nonstop, hit 10th generation on stream. Uh, played an insane amount of Respawn games, at least as far as the shooters go. And so when they announced at Oculus Connect 4 that Respawn would be releasing a... Uh, uh, they didn't say they were releasing Titanfall VR, but presumably it was going to be a VR shooter because that's what they're good at. Uh, I was super excited at Oculus Connect 4. Skip ahead two years and Oculus Connect 6, they finally announced uh, their game, which is a Medal of Honor above and beyond. Now, I'm not a Medal of Honor fan. Uh, I actually never played any of their games, despite having one on PS3 that I just never opened in the wrapping. Uh, and so I was excited to see that. Uh, I wanted it to be Titanfall VR, Titanfall 3, whatever it is, Titanfall 3 VR. Uh, but it wasn't that. They decided to go with Medal of Honor. And I was down with it anyway. It's a shooter. It's Respawn. I waited two hours to play it. And I'm not even counting the fact that I had to wait two hours in line to play it. I'm not, I'm not going to ding them against that. Uh, I'm not going to ding them for that, but, uh, I will ding them for making an absolutely complete garbage VR game. Uh, I just showed Kula the trailer. It's three minutes long if you go watch it on YouTube. And I, I, they, for some reason, I don't know why they needed to include this, said that they interviewed World War II veterans and, and they are going for this realistic military shooter. Uh, but there's absolutely banana shit going on. I was pissed when I saw that guy holding the knife and a Nazi firing at him. I was, I, I said to myself, I'm going to be so angry if he throws that into his face. And he threw it right into his face, which is cool to do in VR. And it was cool in Modern Warfare 2 at the end, spoiler alert, when you threw a knife directly into Shepard's eye. But it, uh, uh, they, they keep toting this realistic World War II shooter. And and it needs to be fun. And of course, you're the main character. You're the hero. Of course, you're gonna you know be going through some crazy stuff and pulling it off. Uh, but you shoot grenades out of the air. Uh, there's there's a scene within the first thirty seconds of the trailer where you literally catch a grenade out of the air and throw it back. But let's set that all aside. Let's let's set realism aside. This is me being nitpicky. This is this is why we call the early access podcast the early access podcast because this is an early access game and there are people out there defending this garbage. Uh, when you put something out in the world, it, it, it is open to criticism. But I'm not even going to criticize it on a lack of polish. I'm going to criticize it on a, a, just a complete lack of being a good game uh, or having any innovative or good VR features. So uh, I played through at Oculus Connect 6. They gave me 30 minutes to play, and there were four levels, and you got to play uh, until your 30 minutes was up. I beat all four levels. One of them was the tutorial and then the other three levels. All in less than 30 minutes. I sprinted straight through it. I, I very quickly found out because one of my friends walked over and told me that you could clothesline Nazis. 
And so I, you could actually just walk around with your arms out and punch them directly in the face. Now, I'm, let's let's not knock them for polish or uh, it was a pre-alpha build. It was early access. So let's not knock them for any kind of polish. There was absolutely no no reason to play this. Uh, it, it didn't have... So let's take Onward and Pavlov. Uh, for your VR shooters. Pavlov has a super cool recoil system. Uh, the way they treat reloading guns is different per gun. So naturally, you can reload guns in VR insanely fast. You don't have to insert the magazine directly into the magwell. It's just a series of button presses. There's no actual weight to the gun. So you could snap things around super quickly. So one of the ways Pavlov treats reloading is they'll just add more steps to, to reload a light machine gun. You have to open the top hatch, pull the the box with the belt out, put a new box in, put the belt in, close the hatch, cock the gun. The way they the way the way they make you reload uh, in Pavlov makes it more uh, more like natural, um, but also makes it so that you can't just you know stick a new magazine in. Uh, in a Medal of Honor, the way they treat reloading is every single time you put a new magazine and you have to cock the gun. Again, that's a polished thing. That's something they can uh, take out. But Onward, for example, also has super realistic weaponry. Uh, it's fucking terrifying when you get shot at. You hear bullets whizzing by your ears if your enemy just so happens to miss. You're panicking. You got to take cover. The way the VR shooters all handle uh, their their weapons, uh, hot dogs, horseshoes, and hand grenades, for example, is a simulator. Uh, it actually is even more difficult to stick your magazines into the gun. You know, they try to handle their weapons super realistically. On the other end, Robo Recall, you just throw your guns away and the new guns teleport to your hips and you pick them up and you got new guns. So every VR shooter has something innovative about the way you handle the weapons or you fire the weapons. Space Pirate Trainer, your guns are like an all-in-one different weapon. But there is absolutely no innovative shooting in Respawn's new game. They did have some cool accessibility things where if you dropped a gun, it went straight to your back, but I think that is literally the only good thing I could say about the game. Uh, they had some puzzles in there, and the puzzles were... I, I'm pretty sure you could find any random 10-year-old and they can figure it out. Uh, I sprinted straight through those levels. The AI was incredibly stupid. You could walk past a lot of them. A lot of them were mapped to go from point A to point B, and if you, like, ran past them or didn't kill them, as long as you just got far away enough to where they couldn't shoot you anymore, they weren't a problem. It The sound was absolutely terrible. Again, that some of these things are polished things. But my my main my main thing about the game, there's uh, a lot of people say, oh, Nikki, it's pre-alpha. It'll get better. It's not a full release. It's coming out in 2020. They got time to improve it. They have nothing core. There's no, there's nothing good to say about the game. First of all, I have all these criticisms about it. There's no, there's no redeeming factor, and the very core of the game has nothing extra uh, cool or fun about it that's deserving of a AAA title uh, and the quality that I come to expect from Respawn. There's a thing, Kula, you were saying earlier about how like World War II games, uh, it is, it was, there's millions of people in that war. And in every single mission I played, aside from the tutorial where there's a sergeant yelling at me, you're playing by yourself. And, and the reason they say you're by yourself is, oh, you're a spy. You're the resistance. You've got to go right. around and, and infiltrate. And, and, and the point I was saying is like, uh, spies weren't exactly known for like getting into combat often. 
So the fact that you do is kind of just an excuse to give you a Rambo fantasy in World War II, which once in a while, I guess I'm fine with it, but it was an annoyance to me because I've seen it happen more and more in various, um, like, war shooter games that to just have you kind of going off alone when... I, I do want the experience, if you want to be immersive, I do like the experience to be multiple people fighting in an actual battle instead of you kind of doing an infiltration mission all the time. My KD Battlefield and 1 Medal was my of biggest Honor. example. My KD and Medal of Honor must have been like 40 to 1. Uh, and I had absolutely no help. With with the exception of these like magical drugs that I could stick into my stomach and heal myself to full health. Which I'm not knocking that. I mean, it, if the trailer is going to tout realism... I'm not going to knock things that are convenience like, oh, I can't get shot at all. Um, but the the game, uh, from a realism standpoint, I remember I was spawning into a mission. I don't know where I was, but I was up in the mountains, and I was supposed to sabotage some Nazi radio tower. And the opening dialogue, which it wasn't even dialogue, it was text on the screen. I'm sure they'll add a voiceover later. Um, it said something like, you are in Norway. It is cold. And that, that was their descriptor. It's like, you're at the top of the mountain. Chills are sent down your spine as the last of your rations come low. You have to make it to the Nazi radio. Like, it was, there wasn't actually any storytelling. It was just, it's cold. The storytelling isn't good. Uh, I think at the end of one mission, spoiler alert, uh, which the missions, there are 40 missions, but I played four of them in less than 30 minutes, so... Uh, you know, and I, I was just kind of casually going wrong. If I, if I was actually trying to speed through those missions, I might have been able to even go faster. But at the end of one of the missions, apparently some soldiers from Medal of Honor that are recognizable in the franchise came and saved you, even though I didn't need any saving because I just clotheslined six different Nazis. <laughs> like it's, uh, the, ga the game is dumb. Two out of ten. It was a video game. It has absolutely no redeeming factor. Some cool accessibility with the way you can, like, drop guns and they go on, back onto your back. Um, the way they handle scoping too, I, I'm I'm theorizing that it's going to be on the Oculus Quest, and this is how they're going to solve scoping on the Quest. Um, your whole vision becomes the scope. Like think about how you scope in on Call of Duty Four, where you hit your right mouse click or your L2 on your controller, and then your whole screen becomes the scope. They kind of do that in VR, where your face becomes the scope instead of you leaning down and going into the scope. Uh, I think that's an accessibility thing that they've done. But other than that complete garbage game, Respawn, you've really let me down. I've been excited about this since Oculus Connect 4. So I really hope they pick it up. But uh, this is this has been your early access podcast, early access segment. Nikki calling out dumb, uh, terrible games that he got early access to. On the opposite end of the spectrum, I played Stormlands and Pistol Whip at Oculus Connect Sticks. Uh, Stormlands is incredible. Uh, it's coming out very soon. And everyone who attended Oculus Connect 6 gets a free copy. So I absolutely will be playing it as if I wouldn't have already thrown literally $60. It's not going to be $60. But it's that level of quality of a game. Uh, Stormlands was an insane amount of fun. That's a game made by Insomniac. It's a co-op uh, shooter exploration open world game. Uh, it's, kind of, it's a looter shooter. And uh, that game is absolutely incredible. The amount of polish uh, is insane. And I'm excited for that to come out. But the main thing I want to talk about was Pistol Whip. And I was really skeptical about Pistol Whip. For those of you who don't know, it is a rhythm shooter where you are endlessly running down a corridor. Not endlessly, the song ends. But you pick a song, you run down a corridor, guys come out, and you got to shoot them in the face. And they all come out to the beat of music. I, I was nice enough. 
Oh, the Pistol Whip devs were nice enough to give me a demo as I saw them randomly standing out in Oculus Connect 6 in a hallway hanging out with my friends. And so uh, I got to play the game for about maybe 10 minutes. And it is far more shooter than it is rhythm game. One thing I didn't like in the Pistol Whip trailer was they said um, you don't have to be on beat. Um, but uh, when I actually did play the game, it turns out that it, it's really a shooter set to music. I'm, I wouldn't even really classify it as a rhythm game. Uh, it's a game that you play to music, whereas Beat Saber, it's about hitting the blocks to the music. Whereas in Pistol Whip, it's about shooting people and, and not necessarily any order and any timing. Uh, it's just about getting nice, clean shots in on. It makes you feel like a real badass. You are running down a hallway. Uh, there's no stopping. It's like Sonic and the Secret Rings, if you guys ever played that game, where Sonic is just constantly running forward. You got to shoot guys. Uh, the soundtrack is cool. I only got to play a couple songs, but the uh, the way the weapon handling is is I, I had a pistol with twelve bullets. I'm sure maybe there'll be other guns in the game. I mean, it's pistol whip, so maybe there's other pistols. Um, but you shoot enemies that are coming out to the beat of music. You're moving forward constantly, and then you reload just by flicking your hand up or down. I got to play it on the Oculus Quest, and it was innovative. It is unlike Medal of Honor, something that I have not seen before, especially in the rhythm game genre, where rhythm games in VR are a lot like how Battle Royales are in flat screen games. Everyone's trying to make one. And this one, there's Autica, which is the other rhythm shooter, but that Autica is more rhythm than shooter. I think Pistol Whip is more shooter than rhythm. Uh, it was innovative. It was clean. Uh, it did something that, that no other game has done so far. Um, the gameplay was unique. The whole game worked also is, I think, a lot farther in development than Medal of Honor was. Uh, so I am really looking forward to Pistol Whip. They do have a trailer that they released in Mixed Reality. Uh, I would go check that out if you guys own an Oculus Quest, which if you know me, you must know something about VR, hopefully. Uh, but if not, we'll get to the, the non-VR things that we have to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about Kuehler and I went out to Japan. But first, we have to talk about uh, the party that I threw, the V respawn after party. This is the second one that I've managed to put together. Credit to the team. Uh, I was not the only one who threw this party together. But after Oculus Connect 6 on Thursday night, we put together this after party and uh, had about somewhere between 200 and 250 people over at my party. This is the second time I've thrown like a big couple hundred person party. Uh, and it went off without a hitch. Huge shout out to uh, downtown San Jose's Mini Boss and Super Good. Their food was dope, and Mini Boss is a dope venue. So if you guys are ever in Northern California or, or in town in San Jose, uh, Super, I almost said Super Hot. Mini Boss is the bar. Super Good is the restaurant next door. They're connected. We rented out both venues. Those guys did an amazing job. Uh, but the main thing I want to talk about is not jerk myself off for how good I am with event planning. So I throw, uh, I throw this party. This is the second time I've done this. Both of them have gone off without a hitch. There's a lot of things that go into planning a party. Uh, first off, there's the guest list. There's securing the venue, which is really difficult to do uh, unless you have someone who, like me who lives local to San Jose who go out and scout venues. Um, then there's, of course, securing the budget, planning out the food. You need things. I mean, there's a billion different diets out there. There's keto, uh, people who are vegetarian, vegan, meat eaters like myself, Um tons of different diets so you have to get food to accommodate as many people as possible different allergies nuts uh peanut butter uh dairy all that kind of stuff so you got to worry about that there's the menu uh there's drinks of course and getting alcohol then there's dealing with people who are underage 
Um, because this is a bar, it's kind of sketch getting people who are underage, but there's also a restaurant, plenty of security. Security is another thing, uh, making sure people don't get roofied because that is a huge problem in industry uh, parties. I've been to parties where people have gotten roofied, not myself or any of my friends, um, luckily, but I have been to places where other people uh, have been targeted. So you have to deal with security. You have to deal with lines, um, decorations, things for people to do, pictures, uh, all that stuff. Tons of stuff to deal with with a party. I managed to get that done, myself and my team. Uh, all that locked down. On the same day, or maybe it was even the day after, I believe it was the Twitch partner party. Uh, this picture comes out by An- Anmunition. Uh, Twitter.com slash Anmunition. A-N-N-E-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N. Uh, I've met her before in person. She's cool. But she tweeted out a picture where at a at a Twitch party, they put out a table of open beers. And for those of you who aren't over 21 or uh, just have no no semblance of danger in their life, you can't just have open beers sitting on a table at a party. Unless I guess it's a family gathering uh, or or you absolutely are personal friends with everyone there. You can't just have open drinks sitting everywhere. Because it's incredibly easy for me to walk over, pick one up, and then spike the next one because there's a cute girl in line behind me and I know she's going to pick up the next one on the table. That's that's unbelievably unsafe. And I don't know how in the chain of command from Twitch to the bar itself that they thought that that was a good idea. Someone at Twitch and then an event planner and then the bar itself and then the the server who had to put out the beer all, all let that idea pass. Uh, luckily, I think as a, see that beer looked so dangerous that I think no one got roofied from it. And I think maybe this was like a 3d chess level play from Twitch is make this alcohol look so dangerous that no one wants to drink it. And thus, uh, it better for your liver, better for everyone's safety. Maybe it was an extremely high level play, or maybe it was just unbelievably incompetent planning as, uh, as Twitch always does. I, I have a real vendetta against Twitch and their parties um, back last year at TwitchCon. Not this last TwitchCon, but two TwitchCons ago now. Took a girl out to a uh, Twitch partner party, and they over they must have overbooked that party by thousands of people. It was, again, in downtown San Jose. I, I don't know what it is with these big, these big companies and party planning. If they need to hire me or someone else who's an actual party planner. I, I don't even consider myself a professional party planner. I, I just consider myself someone with a brain. Maybe they have too much to deal with. I don't know. Um, but open beer is not good. Uh, so just just keep an eye on your drinks, people. I, I, even, I even go as far as I feel uncomfortable. I actually brought... Um, I brought one of my friends a drink once. I, I'm, I'm pretty close friends with her. Um, but I'm not like calling her every night level uh close friends you know it's it's someone who i see at a convention every time i'm out there and i brought her a drink and even i felt like you know she didn't see the bartender pour this drink and then me take it straight to her like i'm i'm that cautious conscious about drinks like i didn't drug it um but the fact that she trusted me with a drink that was not in her line of sight from the time it left the tap the fact that she trusted me that much was like a reflection on myself. They're like, oh, I, I, I really am this trustworthy in this relationship. I, I am that careful when it comes to alcohol, where I wouldn't trust myself if I were her. 
you know, but but apparently she did. So that that in a way is an honor. Kill, do you have a World War One fact for me <laughs> while we go in? Next, we're going to yeah, talk about sure. Japanese arcades and our trip to Japan. Uh, but Kill is going to hit you with wonderful. World War One fact while I take a sip of water. All right. <clears throat> I had a cold, so my voice is not going to be the greatest but okay this one is actually a little bit after the war and maybe including the next one but it, it's relevant okay so in 1919 john j pershing who was in charge of the american army during world war one famously he was granted the rank of general of the armies which is about equivalent to a six-star general it is the highest rank of the u.s armed forces the only other person to actually receive that rank was george washington who was given it retroactively when they invented the rank, just to give him the highest rank as they possibly could. Um, Pershing died in 1948. So this means that throughout World War II, since he was alive, even though he wasn't on active duty, he was the highest ranking um, officer in the US during that entire war. So a bit of a legacy from the first one that this man just basically had high amounts of prestige. He is regarded pretty highly, although he also had issues that we consider now bad. I don't know what other way to say it about it. But just this That's is a small fast. fact. We'll have a larger one next time. Alright. So, Kuehler and I took a... Well, I took a 13-day trip to Japan. Kuehler's just more like six or something like that. Five. Yeah, it's about a week. I It's about a week. So, we took a trip to Japan. Uh, went out to visit Kitty. She graduated. Uh, and now she is out there in the world. On her uh, presumably real job. I actually don't know. I haven't talked to her since we got back because I've been so busy. But we went out to Japan. Uh, I went to Oita, which is the, the big city that's holding the rugby uh, World Cup. Is that? I don't know anything about rugby uh, or if you guys call it a World Cup. But Oita is a, a big city on the eastern side of Kyushu, which is the big southern, southwesternmost mainland of Japan. Uh, we also went to Fukuoka for a day. And, uh, of course... Tokyo. It was my first time in Tokyo, but my third time in Japan. And Tokyo is, is so much different than, than everyone else. But I want to talk about the arcades because I go to I go to arcades a lot. Uh, this is a hobby that I picked up in the past like two or three years of my life. Um, here in America, there's Round One, Dave and Buster's. I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese a lot as a kid. That that still kind of counts. Um, but Round One and Dave and Buster's are the two main ones, at least around me in Northern California, that you'll find me at. Uh, and holy crap, the, the Japanese arcades blow those two out of the water. First off, there's more games, but I, I just want to talk about the logistics of the arcades. Um, uh, first, actually, this is a more of a, a universal Japanese thing. There are hand towels like everywhere. If you go to like one of the change machines to get a hundred yen coins so you can put coins in the machine, there's hand towels there. Um, because everyone's touching the machines, everyone's touching the change machines. If you go in any restaurant, they offer you hand towels before and after your meal. I don't understand why that isn't a thing that we do in the U.S. Uh, I think really the only downside is the amount of waste that generates. You're using a lot more disposable hand towels and, and the wrappers for the disposable hand towels. In California, we don't even like straws. Uh, you could be executed on the spot for using a plastic straw. So if if you're running around, everyone's using two hand towels a meal. Uh, that, that could be bad, but uh, I, you know, I, I respect the we're not all walking around with greasy chicken wing finger hands all day. Uh, I really like that. Arcades have that absolutely everywhere. At every machine that you touch, there's there's a rag to wipe the machine down. Um, 
Nostalgia, for example, is Bamani like piano game. And uh, Kuehler played a lot of that. There's always a hand towel for you to wipe down the keyboard if you want to right before you play. And everyone's wiping their hands beforehand. So that that's just cool. There's no children running around. Curb stomping the hell out of the cabs, too. If you go to any, like, Dave and Buster's or Round 1 or really any arcade in America, there's always a parent who lets their kid out, and, and the kid's just running around, and they want to jump on the machines because it's colorful, and that's how the, the cabs attract people to come play. But the kids come over and curb stomp the fuck out of the cabs. Like, like they're actually trying to break it. And, and they're sturdy, and they, they usually won't break it most of the time, but it's just really a bad reflection on the parents to let them go around and just be horrendously destructive. But uh, the other thing is if you're playing any, like, foot-based game, whether it be, like, Dance Rush or DDR or Pump It Up, there are mops. Uh, I, I'm speaking for Dance Rush mostly because I didn't play any DDR in Japan. Uh, Dance Rush is this arcade game where there's a... It's basically DDR, but a whole floor, and it's shuffling. You can step anywhere on the floor, and the floor lights up. It's a big, smooth surface, uh, and, and the surface needs to be, of course, clean for you to shuffle around on. And every single station, I went to Ikibukuro, uh, the round one there, and every single cab, there's five cabs, first of all. My local arcade is one. There's five cabs there. Every single one had its own mop. There wasn't one mop for five cabs. There was a mop for everything, and people were using it. After you play, especially if you're playing for a long time, pretty courteous to go around, and if you were dripping sweat on there, if there's dirt on your shoes, to mop the cab out. And th that level of respect for for equipment that's not even yours, I mean, it kind of is yours in that you come back and play on it a lot. But the Japanese seem to really have a respect for other people's things that we just don't have here in America. Um, the fact that this isn't my cab, and maybe even I'm not coming back here ever again, but I respect this place and its employees and the other people who want to use this enough for me to literally just, it doesn't even take two minutes to mop it down. Uh, that's something I respect highly. Also, every every arcade has a, a floor that's just all rhythm games. Uh, the first floor is typically crane games. And to be honest, arcade, arcades are probably mostly funded by crane games. You can burn 20 minutes playing through cranes. Or did I say 20 minutes? You can burn $20 on crane games in like three minutes. It, those things eat credits. Uh, and, and they're always on the first floor so people can casually walk in and, oh, I want that cute plushie, burn $20 real quick and be like, well, get some out of money and then just walk straight out. Um... Yeah, crane games are a huge thing. But on the second floor or the third floor, usually a little higher up, they're rhythm games. And when you have that many cabs in a small space playing music, it gets pretty loud. Uh, but I've actually never seen this in any American arcade. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone in the YouTube comment section. But they have sound separators. Like, they're not actually sound isolators. They're not like the, the eggshell foam cutouts you'd have on a wall in like an actual recording studio but they'll have like plastic dividers between each station that they don't silence but they do mitigate the sound coming from the person next to you so if let's say there's two sound voltex cabs next to each other which is a game where um there's six buttons and knobs and you mash them with your fingers if those cabs are all up in a line they'll have dividers between each of them first off there's headphone jacks um, 
but some cabs don't have headphone jacks. Headphone jacks are incredible. The, if if you don't have a headphone jack or if you don't have a pair of headphones, which are also provided, holy crap, I'm, I'm remembering things I didn't even write down on the run of show. There are headphone jacks on a lot of cabs and some places provide headphones. Unbelievable. You couldn't do that in America probably because people would just steal the headphones all the time. Uh, but the sound separators make it so that you can't hear the person next to you's music as well. You can kind of focus in on your music. The way our ears are designed is um, obviously it's it's shaped forward. So it's a little easier to hear what's coming from in front of you than what's coming behind you or from the sides. So with the way those barriers work is you can hear your music a little better and it dampens the other guy's music a little less. So you can concentrate a lot better on, on your soundtrack. Uh, and, and that's just a a piece of convenience that I haven't even thought of. It, it You go to an American arcade, it's just loud. If someone's playing next to you um, and their cab is louder, which also cabs all have every arcade machine can be set to a different volume. Um, and in America, sometimes it's just do not give a fuck. And one cab will be louder than the other. So people will prefer to play on that one. Um, but if you didn't know that, if you're not a regular of that arcade and you play on the wrong one, then, then your cab's just quieter. Uh, but the, they tuned it all very well to where, where they're not overpowering each other, but you can hear it if you're standing directly on it. The arcade's just better. And the, their variety of games. Kilo, did you have a favorite game that you played there? Oh, I don't know. I've played most of those games already. Basically, I didn't get anything new because of anime cons. They bring all those same machines over here. So it was just the experience. You f- it feels so much different, and everyone's too good, and it's intimidating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember when we walked in? Uh, so we walked into it, uh, and I had never seen this in America because we don't have very many hand rhythm games here um, that require a lot of hand movement. But we walked into an arcade our first day there, and there were people wearing gloves as they were playing. What's, do you know the game that's a big circle and you like slap around the I don't sides? Know what I actually it's didn't called. play that one. I don't, I don't know what it's called, but I see it everywhere now. Do you, do you bear in mind that like we were so shocked that these people wearing gloves were like these people are super tryhards, but by the end of it like it was just normal. Dude, by it the was end shocking of it, to I us, bought gloves. But like yeah, by the end of it, even you had gloves. But it's just normal by the end of it. But it was so shocking the first time to see it that like that they're this they're regulars, right? They're regulars. They pick this up as a habit, as opposed to people just stopping by every once in a while. I, I very quickly learned why they wear gloves. Um, my my new favorite, I I think maybe my maybe I'm just romanticizing it because I can't play it at home anymore. But Chunitham, I think is how you pronounce it, is my I think my actual new favorite rhythm game of all time. Uh, there's a there's a slider. It's kind of like a piano, but there's no actual buttons. There's just a slider. You slide your hands left and right, and then you have to lift your hands up in the air to hit certain notes. That game is fucking incredible, and I literally at one point played it for two hours straight. And I felt like I had rubbed, because you're sliding your hands back and forth a lot, I felt like I rubbed my fingerprints off. Uh, It was very evident after a while, and you're lifting your hand up and slamming it down a lot. Very evident to why people wear gloves playing that game, even though I'm not incredibly good at it. I think I got up to like a skill rating of 9, which is pretty garbage. Uh, considering the guy next to me was like 16. And by the guy next to me, I mean the guy next to me every single time I played was 16. It was a different guy every time. But um, I could have grinded a little more. If, if I was there longer, my, my ranking would have gone up. But I went out to a family mart and, and very quickly got myself a pair of gloves. 
And that made sliding my hands back and forth a lot easier and slamming them up and down didn't make my fingers hurt as much. Speaking of Family Mart, convenience stores in Japan are truly convenient. There's Family Mart lost in 7-Eleven. I don't know if I'm forgetting any, but there is no joke one every, like, if you're in a major city, quarter mile, like in Tokyo, if I had to go to a Family Mart and we had walked past one, oh, we accidentally passed by the Family Mart, I need to pick up water. Be like, dude, just keep walking forward 200 feet and there's another one. Uh, they they were absolutely everywhere. And they have every they, they had gloves for rhythm games. Uh all kinds of groceries. At some of them, I'm pretty sure you can get like literal like suit and ties for interviews. You can you can straight up get dressed for an interview in a Japanese 7-Eleven. And this doesn't come as a surprise to me because I had been there so many times. Uh but it that being said, it still came as a surprise to me. Being able to walk down the street and there's just convenience stores everywhere that are truly convenient uh here there is a convenience store every i don't know mile or so it's not too hard to find a 7-eleven where i live but they don't have nearly enough stock and every single 7-eleven or gas station store you go into i feel like my chances of being robbed or held at gunpoint increases worm yeah or food or, or just flat out getting murdered increases yeah. 500%. Whereas in Japan, I walk into any family mart and I, I don't fear for my life at all. Actually, I have something to tell you, Keeler, live on the podcast. I found the key to Kitty's bike. We left a bike in Japan. It's it's The back wheel is locked and we forgot to move the bike before we all moved out. I uh-huh. know exactly where it is. And I guarantee you, whenever I go back, whether that be next year, five years from now, ten years, that bike will still be there unless it, like, rusts and then they have to throw it out or something. Yeah, um, Because it is outdoors. But if I were to go back anytime soon, I guarantee you that bike will not be stolen. If you go to UC Davis, which is a school in um, Northern California... Um, they have a they have a rampant bike stealing problem. If you lock your bike, people will steal the bike seat. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know. If I th- yeah, they just they'll dismantle your bike <laughs> around the lock if you lock it. It's not enough to just lock it. Like this isn't a joke. They will literally dismantle. I th- my theory is someone stole a bike seat, and <laughs> it's like that <laughs> saying: if you're in the army, there's one thief in the army, and everyone else is trying to get their shit back. Uh, <laughs> Someone stole a bike seat and everyone else was just stealing a bike seat to replace their bike seat. In Japan, you could just leave your bike out and no one steals it. I actually went out to dinner with one of my friends once. We were out for four hours. And and he was like, all right, got to go home, Nikki. See, I'm like, oh, you got to get your bike. I'll walk you to it. And he was like, yeah. I'm like, where's your bike at? And he's like, oh, it's like half a mile this way. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, it's just down there. You, you just left it in that park? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you have your bike key? I'm like, no. He, I'm like, you didn't lock your bike? He's like. No. And he was talking to me like I was a creative. Like, you you didn't lock your bike. We weren't in Tokyo or anywhere with high foot traffic or anything. Um, so that does add into it. I'm not saying bikes never get stolen in Japan. Hey, if you want to make a quick buck and you're an American and you don't give a fuck, go out to, like, one of the smaller Japanese towns and start stealing bikes. People will lock that shit up. But then, who are you going to sell it to? Why do you have so many bikes, bro? You've been stealing bikes, you damn American. Anyway, uh, I guarantee I have the key to this bike. I know exactly where it is, and if it doesn't like rust 
in time, I'll report back and see if I can actually go get this bike. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It's not like I'm going to ship it home. But I just want to know if it's still there as a testament to truly how little they steal shit in Japan. Uh, speaking of which, I, I know uh, a literal episode of our podcast was called Nikki's Ninja Training. Uh, I received zero ninja training. I'm going to be completely honest. I spent so much time in the arcade. I, I went to <laughs> the round one in Ikibukuro, I think, four days in a row. Like, I was just there. Um playing nonstop. Uh, I absolutely Ikibukuro, I think, is my favorite district in Tokyo. Um we went to Shibuya and saw the famous Shibuya crossing with the scramble where there's it would you say it's literally like a thousand people plus going across that? I can't I even really count. It's and that maybe says more than trying to give a number. Uh for those of you who don't know, there's this famous crossing in Shibuya. It's right outside the train station. Uh you can cross the street in pretty much every direction, even diagonally. And because it's most right outside the train station, crossings. most of them do. Um, but it is insanely busy. Uh, I, I literally, there's easily hundreds, if not 1,000 plus people crossing across uh, this crossing at any given time. Like this crosswalk probably allows you to cross once every like two minutes. And every single time, there are thousands of people going across. Tokyo is so dense of a city. And this is coming from a guy who, you know, went to school in San Francisco. Uh, San Tokyo is not dense. Tokyo is like in the top five or top ten. I think top ten densest and largest um, metropolitan centers in the world. It's it really is only beaten by like China. It is absolutely largely. intimidating. Uh, <clears throat> it is frightening. Anyway, we're gonna wrap up the show. Um, but the last thing I want to talk about is QR and I found. Well, we I think we were in Tokyo, right? Uh, no, no, we were... We were in Oita. We were still in Oita? Uh, we were still in Oita, which is uh, one of the southernmost cities in Japan. We were in Oita, and we were walking around, and we found a KFC Pizza Hut. There's there's a moral to this story. Uh, you guys are going to have something to take away from the Early moral. Access podcast. Other than Nikki Hates Medal of Honor, you, you will have learned something after you hear this story. If there's nothing else you take away from the Early Access podcast. So we found this KFC Pizza Hut combo. And, and we had gotten on a series of wrong buses, so we were pretty hungry. So we decided to go into the KFC because this is the first time Keeler would have had Japanese KFC and the Japanese love KFC. Japanese KFCs are nothing like American KFCs in terms of taste, but we were hungry. So we go in and we get two full large adult meals. They came with like three or four large pieces of chicken. I think I got a side of chicken nuggets with that, fries, and we both got large drinks. Uh... And, and we destroyed that, ate it up, and we were sitting in this common dining area for the Pizza Hut also. So I look over at Kuehler and say, let's get some Pizza Hut too because we're both hungry. And, and this really boils down to, to the American philosophy of uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should, but we do anyway. So we went to the Pizza Hut and I ran some numbers and we got a large pizza. A large pizza in Japan has a surface area of 116.9 square inches. Uh, a large American pizza has a surface area of 153.94 square inches. This is comparing Pizza Hut to Pizza Hut. And uh, so an American large pizza is 37.04 square inches more. But, but besides the point, uh, what I'm trying to say is that the Japanese large pizza is not as big as the American large pizza, which is the same with the KFC, which is why we decided to get KFC and Pizza Hut on the same day. 
So we order a large Pizza Hut pizza after eating a large KFC. <laughs> a large, large KFC also, adult large meal. Large also in, in Japanese was relatively not a lot. It was a normal meal size. It was lar- a large KFC in, in American size is enough to fill you up for the day. But that was not Look, true in Japan. There's a reason why when Kitty came back to America <coughs> after being in Japan for four years, she was like, oh my god, we are so fat. <laughs> Just being in LAX. Anyway, it it was disgraceful. The way the lady from KFC came over took our two trays as she saw us with this box of pizza. <laughs> She's like, can I take your trays? And we're... We're tearing into this box of pizza. Now, uh, we uh, there was no pizza left standing afterwards. It it wasn't it was hard, but it wasn't too difficult. Like if you were like Nikki, I'm gonna give you two thousand dollars for you to eat this entire pizza and two adult KFC meals, and you get one friend to help you. I'd be like, no fucking problem. Like it was hard, and I regret doing it, and I wish I had eaten less, even as I was eating it. But it wasn't so hard that I couldn't do it. And therefore, I did it. And so at the end of the meal, we had finished two trays of food. We had another tray for, um, like, sauce or something. And then a box of pizza. <laughs> and we, we looked disgusting. And it was not hard to do. Don't forget that after I ordered the pizza, the woman asked me, like, oh, are you... When I asked, like, do you want it to go or, do, or for here? When I said for here, she, like, asked me, are you sure? Like, are you really sure you wanted that whole pizza for right here in the store? And as you left to get another soda, she came up to me... No, I didn't me. get my first soda. I didn't get a soda. It was your first soda, okay. Yeah, so, I only got one done. <laughs> when, when you left to KFC to get your soda, she came up to me and said, are, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there we are within eyesight of the counter of this pizza, eating this entire pizza. And, and it was really a, it was really more of a meal of self-reflection. Like the meal was good. The, the pizza was good. The KFC was okay. It wasn't nearly as good as American KFC, but it was just a, it was just a moment of, of, of reflection. Like we eat too much. I'm hungry right now, actually. Because since I've gotten back to Japan, I've really shaped up. Like, this this story has had a direct impact two weeks later on my actual health. I am eating three meals a day. I wake up. You know, I take a shower. I'll, I'll maybe answer some emails. Then I'll go get breakfast. Then I'll have a little bit of lunch. And then I'll have dinner. Uh, I'm drinking all, all water. I had a little bit of pink lemonade. And I'm not going to lie. But it was less than a cup. Um, I, I'm sleeping on time. Actually, even after the show. I'm going to get all the early access podcast stuff written up. I'm going to go to bed. Uh, I am not staying up too far past midnight. Definitely not past 1 a.m. I'm waking up at like 8.30 a.m., which is mind-blowing to me. Uh, I'm I'm eating less than 2,000 calories a day, unlike I was when I was in Japan, where I'm eating a fucking entire large pizza and adult <laughs> KFC for one meal. That was not our last meal of the day. Uh, this This... This outing, in the long run, will be healthier for me because it was really a reflection as to how our portions are in America versus the rest of the world. Like, I, we got a large, what was it? I think we got an extra large soda from In-N-Out, I think, as a meme when we got back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we had visitors from out of California, and it's my civic duty to take you to In-N-Out if you're my friend and you're not from California. And 
And that extra large soda baffled me. I don't typically get an extra large from it now, but it, like you could drown a toddler in this shit. It was anyway. So this has had a direct impact on the amount that I'm going to eat in the future, um, on on the way I view portions of food, and and the amount of soda that I will. Con- I didn't even drink that much soda, but I'm going to drink even less soda moving forward. Uh, so so keep yourselves healthy. Eat. You can eat like eat if you eat like shit. At least don't eat too much like shit. You know, like, I'm not saying I'm going out eating a salad every day, but I, I'm not going to be tearing into, like, I, the, my, my normal Wendy's order is, like, 10 spicy nuggets, Jeez. a Baconator, and medium fries. And I'm like, I'm going to get the medium fries, not the large. I, I'm being healthy. Like, no, dude, you get the fucking six spicy nuggets and the fries, and that's it. You're eating like shit, but at least you're not, like, eating a lot of garbage, you know? So that's what I got. You know, also remember that the pizza was cut. I don't remember the number of times, but it was cut in more oh. slices than you would get it in America. Like this was meant to feed not just a family, but like multiple families. It was a party pizza. Yeah, it was a party pizza. And like, that's the only pizza you'd serve at this party. It's not a like, let's just order like a stack of Little Caesars for the children or something. Like, I think it was actually cut in like 16 slices. I think it might have been, honestly. It, it was, was a 31. Cut. Opening that was the revelation, I think, was when it really started to hit me, was when I saw how many slices it was cut into and realized we are not just eating a large pizza in Japan, but we are eating something that is probably made for, like, 15 people. Because, the, yeah, there's 16 slices. I'll have a, it's a 31-centimeter diameter pizza. Like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a small pizza, even by American standards. Anyway, I'm going to close this out with... I think I heard three cars honk in Japan. In fact, Kula and I heard a car accident outside of our hotel, and there wasn't even any honking or yelling. I've seen car accidents in America where they'll crash and then they'll start honking, <laughs> uh, like just out of anger. But I, I, I was in Japan for 13 days, and I think I heard three people honk. I was in LAX walking between terminals, and I heard a guy honk. And I was like, well, that's that's it. Like... That's the literal number of honks I've heard in Japan. Uh, we we honk a lot in America. We don't if even only honk to tell- like the most in the world. I think like southern-ish Europe and like South America, they're just like that's the way they communicate is just by the horn. Oh, the so very last worse. thing, the very last um, Japan thing I wanted to say was I went to a Denny's. And this Denny's is across from a round one. My American routine is go to round one, go to Denny's. And you got to drive a little bit to do that. This Denny's was across from the round one in Ikebukuro. I loved it. But the uh, the guy followed us to the... First off, the menu is not nearly as similar. It is completely different. Uh, but the guy followed us to the elevator. And as the elevator was closing, he said what I presume to be, thank you for coming to our restaurant. We hope you had a good time. And bowed. As the elevator doors were closing, he did not come up from his bow. He was so thankful that we came to this Denny's. And and that level of respect is baffling to me. If only in the contrast of an American Denny's where you go in, you pay at the front, and you get the fuck out. Because the waiter is also as drunk as the guy sitting next to you. Denny's is not a clean or classy place in America. Um, but in Japan, it is very... We also went to a TGI Fridays. And that that is not 
too different, um, but also not too similar. Anyway, that was the Early Access Podcast, Episode 6. Join us on Spotify and iTunes, YouTube.com, Shampoo if you want to watch it on YouTube. Twitter.com slash Stella Shampoo. Follow me, DJ Nikki, on Twitter. You can find me, Stella Shampoo, and everything. Discord.gg slash Stella Shampoo. Join the Early Access Podcast Discord, which is discord.gg slash Stella Shampoo. You can submit questions there. Thanks for watching. Uh, be sure to leave us a rating on those various websites or a comment on YouTube. Keeler has been producing the show. And we will see you guys all next week. Uh, you know, I actually kind of want to do the Early Access Podcast a little earlier because, like I said, I'm going to bed like before midnight. And it's like 10, and we got to process the show. So maybe we'll move the time. I don't know. Keep updated on my Discord. <laughs> but uh, we'll try to keep it on Tuesdays. And uh, maybe, maybe, do you think Tuesdays earlier is fine, Keeler? I think I, I could do it. I think I could do that. Yeah, we might, we might start the show a little earlier on Tuesdays. But thank you guys for watching. Twitch.tv slash Del Shampoo. We'll see you guys all some other time.